everything that I want for the graduates can be summed up in one word, persevere. I long for your zeal for the Lord to grow stronger in every season and sector of life. I want for you to have the most spirit-filled days ahead of you and not behind you. I do not want you to fizzle and fade in the faith. I want your love for Christ to grow hotter. I want your passion for the Lord to grow more intense with every passing year. What Paul wanted for Timothy, I want for you. I want you to persevere. I want you to realize and to understand that you have been called to finish. It is with that in mind that I invite you to take your Bible and meet with me in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Once you've found your place in sacred scripture, please stand out of reverence to the public reading of God's holy word. 2 Timothy chapter 3, I want to read in your hearing verses 10 to 17. 2 Peter chapter 3, allow me to begin at verse 10. You, however, know all about my teaching. My way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, and sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? The persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil men and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. In our passage, we hear the voice of the elder speaking to his protege in the ministry. It is the Apostle Paul who addresses this letter to his son in the ministry, a young man named Timothy. At the time of the writing, Timothy was the pastor at the established church at Ephesus. The Apostle Paul was in a Roman jail in the twilight years of life. And as Paul comes to the end of his life, he says, I want to encourage you, young Timothy, and I want you to persevere, for I want you to realize and understand you have been called to finish. Paul writes this letter and most believe this is one of the last, if not the last letter ever written by the apostle. Paul knows that Timothy is going to encounter some critics in the church and in the culture. Paul understood that Timothy would face some persecution because of his allegiant faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul understood that in the culture, there would be raunchy rebellion and be defiant disobedience. And he did not want any of that to derail or distract young Timothy. 
Everything that Paul wanted for Timothy, graduates, I want for you. Paul has already laid out and described the life in the Ephesian culture. He describes it in chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. I want you to take a look and follow as I read 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with them." I know 2,000 years have passed, but not a whole lot has changed. Does that culture sound like any culture you're familiar with? The culture of Ephesians in the first century was strikingly similar to the culture of the 21st century here in America. And yet in the midst of all of this debacle, in the midst of all this disobedience, Paul says to Timothy, do not be distracted. I want you to persevere. I find it very helpful and hopeful that Paul does not tell Timothy to persevere merely by pulling himself up by his bootstraps or trying harder or grinning and bearing it or giving it the old college try. No, Paul doesn't say anything like that. He does not say, Timothy, you're going to persevere just because you're hard-headed or you're going to persevere just because you have a winsome personality. He says nothing of that. In fact, in our passage, he gives at least three sources of persevering strength for Timothy. And what Paul gives to Timothy, I give to you today. I give it not just to the graduates, but I give it to anyone who's listening to my voice longing to live a godly life. There are three sources of persevering strength in this passage, and the first one is this, that you and I persevere by looking around to the saints who have gone before us. You and I persevere by looking around to the saints who have gone before us. We've already discovered in this letter that Timothy had a legacy of faith it was a sincere faith which first lived in his grandmother Lois and then in his mother Eunice. And now, Paul was confident, lived in Timothy. When critics opposed him, when persecution uh, tried to paralyze him, when difficulty tried to silence him, Paul just said to Timothy, just look around to the saints that have gone before you. Because those saints who have gone before, they have persevered. And by their perseverance, it will be a strength unto you. You'll be able to persevere just by merely looking around. And all you got to do, Timothy, is not look very far up your family tree to find a legacy of faith. It's evident in your family. Because the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is transgenerational. What I mean by that is this, that it's passed down from one generation to the next. And Timothy's grandmother had passed it to his mother. His mother passed it on to him. And so Timothy was the benefactor of having a legacy of faith in his family. There's some of you who have that same story. You look around at your life and you have been born and raised in a Christian home. Friend, that's a gift from God. 
You look up your family tree and not only are your parents Christians, but also your grandparents and your great-grandparents. In fact, you can go back several generations and you can see the evidence and the fruitfulness of Christ-following individuals. And if that's your story, you have a rich heritage. In fact, this afternoon, if you're in a home, if you're in a family where mom and dad are believers, you just need to stop this afternoon and say, mom and dad, thank you. Thank you for teaching me the gospel. Thank you for showing me what the gospel looks like. Thank you for revealing to me who God is and, and who Jesus is and the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for demonstrating for me what it looks like to be a godly guy and a godly gal. And if your story is anything like Timothy's, on this day, you just stop and say to mom and dad, thank you. Thank you for this legacy of faith that you've received and you've passed on to me. But there's some listening to my voice and Timothy's story is not your story. You may be a first generation believer. What that means is that your mom and dad are not followers of Christ. There's nobody in your family that's a Christian. No parent, there no siblings, no aunts or uncles or cousins. You're the first one to be a follower of Jesus. And friend, if that is your story, even you have a spiritual hero. Because if it wasn't for that friend, that classmate, that teammate who told you about Jesus, if it wasn't for that teacher or that coach that took an interest in you and showed you what the gospel looks like, if it wasn't for that person that paid your way so that you could go to church camp, and when you went to church camp with some of your friends, that's when you met Jesus, and that's when your life was dramatically changed for all of eternity. If you are a first-generation believer, even you have some spiritual heroes in your life. And Paul says to Timothy, what I say to you, you look around and you see those who have poured into you. Look around and see those who have invested into you. And as they have persevered in the faith, so you can persevere in the faith. Because you too have been called to finish. Paul said to Timothy, not only do you have your family, but you also have me, Paul said. There was a special relationship, a special bond between Paul and Timothy. We speak of it as a father-son in the ministry kind of relationship. That does not mean that they were biological father and son. They were spiritual father and son. And Paul got introduced to Timothy during his second missionary journey. But in our passage, Paul references some places that he went on his first missionary journey long before he ever met or knew young Timothy. What that tells us is that Paul said, I never hid anything from you, even the experiences that we did not share together. I told you about all the things of my teaching in my life, the kindness, the patience, the persecutions, and the suffering. In other words, I told you the good, bad, and the ugly, and Timothy benefited greatly because of his relationship with Paul. And Paul said, I poured into you. I, I poured the truth of the gospel into you. For you're familiar, Paul writes, of all the suffering that I endured and Barnabas endured when we went to Antioch and Iconium and Lystra. All you and I have to do is just read back in the book of Acts and we'll follow Paul on his first missionary journey. And he goes to Antioch and there he has some success. He and Barnabas preach the gospel and some people respond in faith. 
You know, the gospel's always, always received a mixed review. It's not that everybody receives the gospel, but everybody doesn't reject the gospel either. There's always the remnant. There's always some who receive by faith. When Paul and Barnabas went to Antioch, there were some who received the good news of the gospel, and their life was changed and transformed. But not everybody rejoiced at the good news of the gospel. There were some rebel rousers there in Antioch, and they evicted Paul and Barnabas in a very brutal way. They expelled them from the city and the region. They then went to a place called Iconium. When they went to Iconium, once again, the gospel received a mixed review. There were some people that received it joyfully. There were others who rejected it adamantly. In fact, in Iconium, there were some really bad eggs, and those individuals had developed a sinister plot. But before they could implement this against Paul and Barnabas, these two missionaries left town and they fled to Lystra. When they went to Lystra, they met a man who had been crippled in both feet. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, that man was healed. When the people there in Lystra saw and, and witnessed what had happened to this man who had been crippled, and now he was standing on both feet and he was completely and utterly healed, they wanted to deify the missionaries. They said, the gods have come down in human form, and so they wanted to worship Paul and Barnabas. Not everybody wanted to worship these missionaries. Not everybody deified them. There were some in Lystra that wanted to destroy them. Some of the bad apples from those other two cities made their way to Lystra. They uh, kind of aroused up the crowd. They stoned Paul. They dragged him out of the city. They left him there half dead. The believers in Lystra, they gathered around Paul. They prayed for him. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, he got up. Now, if you were Paul, what would you do after being brutally attacked, after being stoned with rocks, after being dragged outside the city, left for dead, and then the Lord restored your health, where would you go next? I tell you, the apostle Paul went right back into the city. He went right back in there to do more ministry. He had the ability to persevere. Some of us, if we experienced half the things the apostle Paul, we would pack our bags and head for the hills. We'd say, no way, I'm out, I'm done. There is no way that I'm going to continue to follow Christ. If by following Christ means I'm going to be persecuted and I'm going to experience enormous suffering. Yet Paul persevered. Why? Well, because there were people that poured into his life. Even Paul could look around and see how Peter influenced him. See how Barnabas, that son of encouragement, ministered to Paul. And then in turn, Paul could then minister to Timothy. Paul says to Timothy, the way you're going to persevere when life gets tough, when your critics oppose you, when you come against uh, those that are, that are adversaries to the gospel at college or in the workplace, when, when you go those places and, and people just want to silence you and shut you down, you, my friend, you just look around to all the saints that have gone before us because those saints who have gone before us could not be silenced. They could not be stopped. They did not allow persecution or sickness or sadness or sufferings. They did not allow anything in their culture to silence them from the gospel. And graduates, that's what I'm praying for you. That nothing, nothing in your future will silence you. And in those moments when you wonder, is this really true? Is Christianity really the answer? In those moments in the dark recesses of the soul, 
I just want you to look around to the saints that have gone before us. Secondly, Paul says to Timothy, I want you to look up to the Lord Jesus Christ who rescues us. Did you notice in our passage that Paul said, the Lord rescued me from them all. The Lord rescued me from them all. There was nothing that the devil advanced against me that was greater than Christ because Jesus rescued me. That word rescued means he saved, he delivered, he preserved. And there's never anything that's outside the jurisdiction of Christ. There's no scenario or situation that's beyond the grip of God's grace. The Lord rescued me from them all. This same Lord who rescued Noah and his family from the worldwide flood can rescue you. This same Lord who rescued Joseph and lifted him out of the pit and placed him into the palace can rescue you. The same Lord who rescued the Israelites from Egyptian captivity can rescue you. The same Lord who rescued David from Goliath can rescue you. The same Lord who rescued Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fiery furnace can rescue you. The same Lord who delivered and rescued Daniel from the lion's den can deliver and rescue you. The same Lord who rescued Jonah from the smelly belly of the fish can rescue you. The same Lord who rescued Paul from all of his difficulties can also rescue you. The Lord rescued me from them all. That's the testimony of Paul. That's my testimony. Let it be your testimony. Because when persecution strikes, when adversity comes in your direction, when critics oppose you, you, my friend, just look up to the Lord Jesus Christ, for he rescues us. What's true for Paul is also true for you. The author of the Hebrew text just simply tells us Fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith who endured such opposition from sinful men so that we will not grow weary and lose heart. Consider Christ when you face difficulty, when you face opposition. Just look up to the Lord Jesus Christ for he rescues us. Paul says to Timothy, not only do I want you to look around to the saints that have gone before us and look up to the Lord Jesus who rescues us. But third and finally, I want you to look within the pages of the Holy Scriptures given to us. Friend, if you hold the Bible in your hand, you have a great treasure. Paul says to Timothy, you have been taught since infancy the truth of God's word. And this scripture is God-breathed. The same breath that hovered over the deep in Genesis 1-1. The same breath that breathed life into the nostrils of man and he became a living being is the same breath that was breathed upon the sacred writings. This God-breathed scripture that's alive and active, it has the ability to teach us, to rebuke us, to correct us, and to train us. This word of God teaches us who God is and who we are and how we can be made right in God's sight. 
Oh, this scripture, it rebukes us when we go astray. It rebukes the sin that's in our life. In fact, I think that that part of the reason why God has permitted and sent the coronavirus is to give you and me the opportunity to evaluate our life and to see the areas where we are not living the way God wants us to live. And in response, God is rebuking us because of our sin, giving us the opportunity to simply fall on our faces and repent unto him. And maybe this morning there's somebody listening to my voice and you just need to repent of sin as God's word rebukes the way you're living. This word of God which teaches us and rebukes us, it also corrects us. It doesn't just tell us what we're doing wrong, but it shows us what we ought to be doing right. And it trains us so that we are thoroughly equipped for every good work so that we can be faithful unto the Lord. Paul says to Timothy, you hold the scriptures in your hand. And this scripture is God-breathed. It's alive. It's active. For we have long said that the Bible has God as its author, salvation as its end, and truth without mixture of error as its matter. You look within the pages of scripture and it affirms that it is the very word of God. The writer of the Proverbs says that the word is flawless. In Deuteronomy, it's Moses who said, man cannot live by bread alone, but upon every word that comes from the mouth of God. The psalmist asked the question, how can a young man keep his way pure? The answer, by living according to your word. The young man was about to go off to college. And before he left, his parents gave him a Bible. They said to him, everything you need can be found in the Holy Scriptures. The young man took the Bibles, said to mom and dad, thank you, and off he went to college. It didn't take him very many weeks to run out of money, so he emailed mom and dad and said, you promised that you would help me out financially. Can you please send me some cash? And in response, the parents emailed and told him, read your Bible. They even gave him book and chapter and verse. He kind of disregarded the email. He let a few days go by. He didn't get anything into his bank account, so he sent them another email. And this exchange went back and forth for weeks. He would ask for money. They would say, read the Bible. He would ask for something else. They would say, read the Bible. Eventually, in late September, he went home for a long weekend. He was fit to be taught. He went in and sat down with mom and dad. They asked, how's it going? He said, well, school's going okay, but I've really got to tell you, I'm very disappointed. You promised me that you would help me out in any way possible. And I've been telling you for weeks now that I need some financial help, and you have not sent one dime. And his father looked at him and said, son, we know you've not been reading your Bible. Now, this boy had been raised in church, and this this accusation of biblical negligence left him flabbergasted and frustrated. He stomped out of the room fuming, and after a few moments, he allowed his anger to settle and cooler heads prevailed. He went back in and sat down with mom and dad and said, yeah, you're right. How do you know that I haven't been reading my Bible? And the father simply said to his son, all those chapters and verses we told you to look at, we, we put 10s and 20s and $50 bills in those exact places. So we know that if you had been reading your Bible, you would have found everything that you need. 
Now, friend, before you start frantically looking through your Bible, I need to tell you I did not break into your house and I did not slip some money into the pages of the sacred scripture. But if you're holding the Bible in your hand, you have a great treasure from God. You may not find dollar bills, but you will find daily blessings. And God will give you everything that you need. When times get tough, when opposition strikes, when persecution strives to paralyze, all we have to do, according to the Apostle Paul, is look within the pages of Holy Scripture which have been given to us. And the pages of Scripture will sustain us. I wonder if there's anybody in the house who could give testimony of the sustaining power of a scrap of scripture. I wonder if anybody could give evidence and give testimony that it is God's word that sustains, even if it's just a scrap of scripture, that God is able to sustain, that God is able to, to help us, that God supplies everything that we need. And sometimes all we have is just a chapter and a verse. It's just a scrap of scripture, yet we cling to it and we hold on to it and it sustains us and it satisfies us. Oh, I wonder, is there anybody who could testify that in time, when things get tough, you look within the pages of the Holy Scripture and it sustains you and it helps you to persevere. When you and I think about the Bible, you know, sometimes we act as if we are living before the Reformation. Before the 16th century Reformation, the Bible was literally chained to the pulpit for it was believed that only the priests could read it and understand it and explain it. But then the Reformation came along, and individuals like Luther and Calvin and Zwingli, they said, we've got to give the book to the people. We've got to put it in their vernacular. We've got to put it in a language they can understand. And one of the hallmarks of the Protestant Reformation was a phrase, sola scriptura, which simply meant scripture alone is the sole source of authority in our lives. We live in a culture where nearly 90% of Americans own a Bible. And every year, 20 million Bibles are sold. But it was David Jeremiah who accurately said, it's not enough for you to own a Bible. The ultimate question is, does the Bible own you? Friend, oftentimes we are owned by numerous things. We are owned by everything under the sun. And yet this morning, I want to plead with you for you not just to own a Bible, but for that Bible to own you. For you to be an individual who looks within the pages of sacred scripture. For that scripture is a gift that's been given to us. Paul says to Timothy, these are tough days. I say to you, these are tough days. These days are not unprecedented. I know it's difficult to live during the coronavirus, but this is not the first global pandemic. It will not be the last one either. There have been numerous people all throughout church history who have lived through a global pandemic. Oh, but these are tough times. These are dangerous times. These are difficult times. And Paul says to Timothy, if you want to faithfully navigate a godly life in these days, then you've got to persevere. You've got to remember that you've been called to finish. 
So first and foremost, uh, he says, I want you to look around to the saints that have gone before you. As I think about the relationship of Paul and Timothy, I'm reminded that uh, all of us need some spiritual heroes. And all of us need to be a spiritual hero. All of us need a Paul and we all need a Timothy. As we look around, we we need to be individuals that that we have a Paul. We have somebody who probably is a little bit older than us that's pouring truth into us. And at the same time, we need a Timothy, somebody that we can pass the faith on to, that we can pour truth into their life. This is true for men and women. We need somebody like Paul. We need somebody like Timothy. Oh, Paul says to his son of the ministry, just look around to the saints that have gone before. But secondly, look up to the Lord Jesus Christ, for he is the one who rescues. And he has the ability to rescue you from them all. All you have to do is look to him by faith. You go from no faith to faith merely by looking upon the nail-scarred hands of Jesus, that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and mine. He came to rescue us and redeem us and liberate us from our sinful captivity. He came to break every chain. He came so that you may be set free. He died so that you may live. And in these moments, in these days, all you have to do, my friend, is look up, for redemption is drawing near. Just look up to the Lord Jesus, who's the rescuer. And then also, Look within the pages of sacred scripture. This book is a gift to you. It's been handed down by faithful men and women from one generation to the next. There have been times when nations and regimes have tried to stamp out this book, but it's never happened because God is not going to allow it to happen. This is his word that's been given to his people to sustain us so that we may persevere. The year was 1968. The Olympics were held in Mexico City. One of the marathon runners was a athlete from Tanzania. His race was difficult. In his 26.2-mile marathon, he had stumbled and fallen numerous times. By the time he got back to the near-empty Coliseum, he was bruised and bleeding. After the race, it was determined that he even had a broken bone in his leg. He was the last one to finish the race. As he came back to the Coliseum, there were only a few hundred people left in the stands. When he made his final laugh, everybody in the stands began to clap. He crossed the finish line after 7 p.m., numerous hours after the first runner crossed the finish line. When the news reporter caught up with him and discovered the difficulty of the race, he simply asked the athlete from Tanzania, why didn't you quit? And the answer, he said, my country did not send me halfway around the world to start the race. My country sent me halfway around the world to finish the race. Graduates, you have not been saved just to start the race of life. You've been saved to finish the race of life. 
You've not been saved just to be faithful in your childhood years. You have not been saved just to merely be faithful in your high school career. You have not been saved just to be faithful to God in your college years. You have not been saved just to be faithful until you start your career in life. You have been saved to finish well. You, my friend, you've been called by Christ to live for him exclusively, to allow your love for him to grow hotter, your passion for him to grow more powerful with each passing year. You are called to finish. You're called to persevere. This is precisely what Paul demonstrates for Timothy. By the time you get to the end of 2 Timothy, it is Paul who says, I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. And I've kept the faith. And now laid up for me There is a treasure in heaven. Friend, what Paul says of himself, he wants to say of Timothy. And it wants to be said of you and me today as well. Let it be said that when we get to the point where we are breathing our last final breath, that we can also say and proclaim, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith that has kept me through every season and sector of life. And now I'm awaiting to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. To the graduates, I've got one word, persevere. To anyone else listening to this message, I've got one word, persevere. Because you have been called to finish. Heavenly Father, we bow before you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. And we pray that you will enable us by the power of Christ to finish well. In Jesus' name, amen.